0: Hello. Welcome to Lamnaforms Radio, a podcast where I interview musicians and artists about their latest projects. My name is Ian Corey, and I am the singer and songwriter in the band Lamnaforms. I love learning about an artist's process, their intentions, and who they are as people. Today I am joined by Greg Obis. Greg is the singer and guitarist of the band Stuck from Chicago. He is also the co-runner of Born Yesterday, a record label which, in addition to Stuck's music, also recently released Cafe Racer's Shadow Talk. For a day job, Greg works at Chicago Mastering Service and has mastered records by Greg Fox, Paul Sherry, Another Michael, among others. Greg and I spoke about how this path through the Chicago music scene led to the release of Stuck's debut album, Change is Bad, a tense post-punk record informed both by a sense of political hopelessness and the death of Greg's parents. Thank you for listening.
1: And I, I don't know, I'm like in a weird halfway zone where it's like I guess if anything, you would like categorize it into being able to work from home because I can do like some things from home, but I'm like I'm also like still going into Chicago mastering like you know like once or twice a week, but like not interacting with anybody there. Like we're only there one at a time, sanitizing everything uh, when we when we leave every day. So it's a it's weird. It's a weird zone. It's a weird time.
0: (laughs) But people are still still want to get their records mastered and whatnot. That so that's still. Yeah. There's still demand for the service.
1: I I think so. I hope so. I think like most of the projects that I have going on right now are things that are like I think people maybe had like, you know, money budgeted for mastering like uh, you know, beforehand and now they're like, you know, ready, you know, committed and ready to move forward with like their project and like finish mastering it. I don't think I've really had I think maybe I've had like one or two like new things like crop up since like uh you know quarantine and everything but not a ton i'm trying not to get like i don't know i'm i at least like trying to convince myself like that it's i don't because like i'll still like I, I think like the last like two years have been like really good for me in terms of mastering you know where it's like mm-hmm. there's some time where like I, I feel like most of the time i'm like really busy on a lot of records and but there there's there's still like you know like uh, you know Definitely, like you know, spans of like you know a couple of weeks or a or like a month, you know, or a couple of months or something, where I I won't have like anything, like come up come through, and I'm like maybe that maybe that was it, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like maybe that was my 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 ride, and uh, and now it's over. So I'm just kind of trying to convince myself that like if it's a little slow right now, then that's kind of why.
0: Yeah, I, f- I definitely feel like the industry as a whole is kind of put in a weird place. Obviously, that's like a understatement of the of the century, but. I think that there's, you know, you see a lot of artists pushing releases back, or, you mm-hmm. know, in, in my case, like I was going to go into the studio in April and then can't now. Yeah. Uh, and I'm still like working on the record, but it's completely thrown the timeline off. And so I think you're going to, you know, see a lot of people making stuff at home, but then how many of those people are going to like shell out to get their records mastered versus right. all of the, the bigger industry stuff that's just been completely ground to a halt.
1: Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it's like, and also what like, that's it, so affected by touring too. Like if, you mm-hmm. know, if people aren't going on tour, then they're not, you know, making money and maybe you don't don't want to pay for like, you know, a, a professional mastering service. So, you know, it's, it's, it's like, it's scary. Yeah, it's, it is, I, I yeah, it is weird. I don't really totally understand. Like, I mean, I don't know. I, I guess like, I don't, I don't want to be unsympathetic because everybody is doing the, the best they can. But like, I, I feel like I'm really... I don't know. I I I I like especially with like you know the like the kind of mega stratosphere of artists like you know Fiona Fiona Apple like you know put out her record even though her like label was saying it should be delayed and 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 I'm glad that she did put it out when she did. But I just don't understand the logic of like not putting it out because it's like people are so hungry for content right now and for mm-hmm. art and you know comfort that it just seems like the right thing to do to you know still put out the record and you know that doesn't mean that people aren't aren't going to buy it you know even if you're not doing touring or anything like that i don't know just it, you know i'm i'm glad that like music is still happening and and like i'm also i don't know it hasn't like ground as far to a halt as i kind of expected i guess cuz I, I don't know i'm i am still like you know going in like a few times a week for that and you know people have been really receptive to the stuck record and you know have, have been like purchasing that um and the cafe racer record uh, and, and other records too, especially with like the Bandcamp day thing has been like a huge boon for that and like, God bless them. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so I don't know. I'm I, sorry. That was just kind of a, a, a tangent.
0: <laughs> no, no. You touched on a lot of stuff that I think is all pretty relevant. Like to your point about why some people are holding off on releasing records, I think a lot of it does come down to touring. And yeah. I think the difference is that you'll see that the people that are holding off from releasing records, at least as far as I can tell, are... Artists kind of at like the top levels. Yeah. Where I feel like there's so much money invested in promotion. And making the merchandise that the tour is really where all of that gets recouped. Right. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. it's kind of like these like Marvel movies. Or like I was movies about of... to say that. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's like the, the, you either hit big and make like tens of millions of dollars adjusted. I'm, you know, pulling numbers out of my ass. Yeah. Or you don't make any. And I think the industry, like both the movie industry and the music industry have kind of stratified in this serious, serious way where, the only way to make any money is to make a lot of money
1: yeah right right yeah of course yeah i yeah that's it's it's totally that's totally true and yeah I, I think it is like really at like the yeah it is like in those like upper tiers of of like the music industry yeah i was going to say it's like yeah it is like the like, kind of like the marvel you're or yeah or like any any sort of like music or, or sorry movie industry sort of thing um i'm glad the dune movie apparently the dune movie is still supposed to come out on schedule, and I'm stoked about that. I'm reading it right now for the first time because. Oh fuck yeah. Yeah, I yeah Peter, I, I've been texting Peter and Alex, being like, "Hey, have you guys read this Dune book? It's pretty good.
0: I think you should check it out."
1: <laughs> <laughs> like after them telling me to read it, like since uh, as long as I've known Peter, he's been telling me to read that book. I, I, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm stoked that that's still gonna come out because I'm excited to see it after I finished reading it.
0: Yeah, I'm a I'm a big fan of Denny Villeneuve. I've never read dune although now that i've got all this time i guess i could crack it open and make some good progress by the time the movie comes out mm-hmm. but i'm just like i i thought that you know the blade runner movie he did was probably a bit too long but was highly enjoyable I, I just enjoy his movies a lot i don't know if they're like super deep or if i have any kind of like emotional connection but it's just like yeah movies I like to see with my eyes definitely So, (laughs) yeah I'll be glad to do that with this one too yeah I I loved I loved
1: the new Blade Runner I I was like I I don't know I was just like I was so enamored with that movie when it came out and I think I've watched it one time since then and like Mm -hmm. I guess it's like only it's it's it seems like it's like kind of manifest destiny to be like critically well well rated and like not make any money (laughs) like that's just like I guess what has to happen with a Blade Runner movie Um, right
0: Yes. He did exactly what he needed to do, which was make a flawed but incredibly interesting movie that made zero money. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. That's the true Blade Runner sequel. It rules. Yeah. I'm glad that you brought up Peter and Alex, because I initially wanted to have Alex on before lockdown happened to kind of give like a yeesh eulogy, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Because you put out the final yeesh album last year, Mm -hmm. and my understanding was at the time, like it, by the time you were even recording it, you sort of knew that that band was on its last legs and that this was going to be the final statement. Is that fair to say? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. We, yeah. So like what happened? Uh,
1: yeah. Like I basically, yeah. When we recorded, Yeah. So like at some point, Alex decided that he was going to move back to New York, which is where he's from. And, he, I think he just like, he just felt like, I think like he had done, I, don't, I I think he just like wasn't happy in Chicago and had done everything that he could to kind of like, you know, you know, make a, a good life for himself here. And just like, things weren't like panning out the same way. And I think he just like wanted to kind of get like a fresh start back home and kind of figure some things out. And, you know, me and Peter were totally receptive to that, you know, and, and, uh, you know, supportive of it. Although, you know, we were disappointed and, and yeah, so we like, so yeah, he like, he, he like broke that news to us at like reads. And then we had been writing this record for like a lot, a lot of the, the like songs on, uh, saw you up there. I think we had written like while we were still like, you know, in production for, um, confirmation bias and stuff. And Mm -hmm. so we finally, so yeah, like, and we had been working on it for a really long time that's that right? Like the yeah, saw you up there. It's like we really, we maybe I, I think we wrote something like eighteen songs or something. I I want to mm-hmm. say, and then we like tossed out many, you know, six of them or or more, no seven, I guess. And then we went in and re- and and then yeah. So like we knew Alex was moving, and and he he had actually moved back to New York before we started recording it. But yeah, we just made the plan that like, all right, well you'll you'll like fly back and we'll do like a week of recording at electrical audio because we, we probably would have done it like somewhere smaller, but we were like, well, if you know, this is like the end, then we may as well like blow our budget and, you know, like, or you know, just like blow all the money that we have and just like, you know, really go big. And we worked with Johnson Paulo there who rocks. I, I love that guy. Uh, but yeah, so Alex like was living, living in New York and then he flew back to Chicago for a week and we played, we like recorded the record over the course of like, you know, five or six days or whatever it was. And then that, and then like the last day we played our, our last show. So then we had like kind of like the, you know, week of to kind of get tight together musically. Before before actually you know having to play in front of people and then we did the last mm-hmm. show at Auxiliary Art Center I think that was with Milked and Bowen Spear and Two Houses I think was the it's, lineup
0: that sounds very much appropriate for the Yeesh final show
1: yes it was <laughs> and then we did I can't uh, yeah we did and then we we did like some antics too where we I don't think we put Two Houses on the bill and we <laughs> <laughs> and we, we had them like get on stage and like like it was a WWE thing wonderful. I don't yes. think it was as dramatic as as we had I had envisioned it, but it was it was still good. It was fun.
0: <laughs> well, that seems that seems appropriate because I remember when Sharpless did like our last show in Chicago, you know, there was that great little WWE moment where you guys did like the Sharpless Lambda Forms yes. cover to kind of fuck with Man, us. I totally forgot about that.
1: That was so fun. <laughs> <laughs> um
0: yeah, we I it's funny cuz we I
1: I always in my mind like I think that's in my mind. Like, Yeesh never covered anything, but I guess that's like the only, the that's that's like the first time we covered something. And then the other day, I was listening to like I was listening to Aquarium Drunkards radio station, and like they put on Alien Lanes by guided by voices. And I and I was like, oh yeah, I forgot we covered Game of Pricks at like our second to last show. Um, mm-hmm. And Detroit has a skyline by Super Chunk. But yeah, those were anyways. Yeah, that was that was really fun. I don't know. I I com- had completely
0: forgot about that. <laughs> And so, how much of the record itself is about the end of Yeesh? Because it feels like to me as a listener, there's definitely a few songs on there where, and I, I remember a while ago when you first announced that you were breaking up, I sort of wrote about how I felt like Yeesh was kind of this like diaristic project about what it's like to be in a you know indie rock band that isn't necessarily going anywhere. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Yeah,
1: I think I man, yeah, I, it's. Yeah, we, I, I think the, like, saw you up there, I think a lot of Alex's lyrics were, I think there was, like, I don't know, I think there was, like, probably some unpacking of uh, maybe some, like, personal relationships that, some unpacking of, like, personal relationships that maybe were, like, kind of eating away at him when he was, like, deciding whether or not to move, and then, like, the... the final track, Victory Lap, that's, like, definitely... Yeah, well, I think the last two tracks, actually, Victory Lap and Just Shy are both, like, very much about, like, Alex kind of unpacking, like, the feeling of, like... I mean, I'm pretty sure that, like... So, yeah, uh, Victory Lap, I think it's, like, a song about being at, like, a bottle show, essential... uh, Empty bottle show, and, like, feeling kind of, like... Out of place and like out of touch with what's happening and with like the people around him and like you know wondering what's you know what's going on and and not kind of feeling like just like this kind of um, not you know fitting in with the scene around him and I yeah I don't know I think that and yeah I th- I, th- I think I think just shy is about that too I I guess I guess I'm not sure about the re- other rest of the songs in the record definitely none of my songs because I don't know I think what are, I, I don't know it's it honestly like it's been long enough that I. Honestly, struggle to remember the songs on on that record sometimes. Um, <laughs> where it's like I'll I'll kind of go back to it and be like, oh yeah, it's it's funny to be talking about Yish now because like we're probably gonna put out some sort of like B sides thing and probably just do it as like a charity comp or whatever. And so and like I was I kind of pitched that idea to Alex and Pete this week, and then I like busted out like a extremely old hard drive and was just going through and like listening through all of these, you know, just like these old tons of old files and, uh, you know, recordings of stuff, demos. And and there's, there's like a lot there and, uh, some of it's pretty good. And a lot of it's bad. (laughs) A lot of it's really bad. Um, and like, I don't want anybody to hear it, but yeah, like we did there, there's like, there's one song that we recorded at electrical, for uh saw you up there that we wound up scrapping just because like it felt like the kind of weakest song on the record and i i like wrote my lyrics like in the studio and they weren't very I, i just wasn't very confident in them and so but it sounds great and we we had it like mix i mixed it and like we we had matthew barnhart at chicago mastering master it um so it's like it sounds good but it's it's you know just not the and, and then there's some, some other stuff. But yeah, like, I don't know, li- li- like, listening back to, like, or going back on all that stuff is very interesting. I think, yeah, I think that, like, I don't know. I don't think, I just, I it's it's just, like, interesting. I didn't, don't, I, I, I guess, like, when I moved to Chicago, I kind of thought it would just be, like, oh, it's just going to be, like, our band could be your life. Like, bam, I'm going to, like, move here, and I'm going to find all the cool bands and, like, you know, meet all the cool people and just like, you know, fit right in. And I, you know, I don't think it, it just like really took like the last, like, you know, uh, yeah, like eight years for me to even begin to kind of feel like, um, kind of like, you know, at, like, I guess, I guess just like a, you know, a really like a sense of belonging in Chicago's music scene. Like it, it took a really long time to figure out. Mm-hmm. And, and I th- and I think like, going back to like, you know, listening to like old demos and stuff, like really made me like think about that, you know, especially like reliving moments. Like there's like some live, uh, you know, live cuts where I'm like, oh yeah, I remember this show. Nobody was there. And we sound awful, (laughs) like, you know, we're like completely butchering this song. And, you know, so I don't know, I guess it's like, I don't, I guess I don't really know where I'm going with that. I think, I think I just like that, like, you know, it takes, I I think just like, you know, figuring out Your place in a in a music scene and figuring out figuring out myself as a person took a lot longer than I kind of expected it to
0: do you think that was like a matter of maturing musically or finding the right style of music that fit into the scene or like that's basically what I'm asking is like do you feel like it was that what you were trying to do at the moment was like at cross purposes with the rest of what was going on in the city or do you feel like you just hadn't gotten good enough yet um, I think a little bit of both. I, I think that
1: like, I don't know. I, th- I don't, it just f- always felt like, I, I, I think like it definitely felt like there weren't that many bands that like we really resonated with, especially like, especially like right when we moved to Chicago in like 2012, I felt, I felt like we were like, you know, kind of struggling to find like really like-minded people. Um, and it, and it, and it definitely like took a while. And, um, yeah, I, th- I think some of that was just kind of like, yeah, just like a, maybe a little bit like I, th- I think I think that like we probably would have like found like a foothold in music a lot faster if we had like moved to Philly or New York, like uh, right out of college. And, you know, I, I just just because like, I you know, especially because like all the bands that we were listening to at that time or, or like, you know, that we, that we felt were like, you know, contemporaries and, you know, trying to play with, like, we're really out there. So yeah, I think, I think it was like, it was, it was part, it was part of that, but yeah. And, I, and then I think another big part of it is like, I don't really, yeah. I, 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 another big part of it is just like, yeah, I think we had like a lot of maturing to do musically. And for me personally, at least, you know, to, to kind of figure out like, yeah, just, I, I don't know. I mean, you know, just like the the like a EP that we made in college, and then the first one that we made here. I don't know, like they're cool, and there's definitely some good songs and good moments on there. But like you know, largely it feels like goof, goof you know, like we're just kind of teenagers with bills that are like goofing around sometimes and that's fine and i don't want to like you know i don't want to say that's like you know bad or anything like that but you know i definitely feel like by the time we got to like no problem which is like the first full length i feel like we had started like there's still moments on that record that i uh, make me wince a little bit but but by and large it's like there's you know i think that that's when like the songs are really kind of starting to mature and kind of like take hold and, and and i think that record aged pretty well and then i and then i would say like the same thing continue and then like i think confirmation bias felt like an even more cohesive thing and then uh saw you up there as well uh yeah and so it like i think i think creatively it, it, it took some time to like really kind of come together as well and um especially like i think especially because like especially like the way that band worked with like me and alex and peter like to draw a contrast to stuck which is like i'm like i it's it's like stuck has been so far less like me being like very uncompromising artistically and just being like this is what I want he, like here hear the songs like and like you know my bandmates like I definitely want them to like you know learn the parts as I have written them and then take them apart and like make it work for them and you know mm. critique it and like you know rewrite the song and, and stuff like I you know I, I don't want I don't want to be like a uh, monster or anything like that but it's but it's generally like you know I'm kind of uh, calling the, sh- the the shots or whatever just because like it's it's just like super efficient that way and i love it um right
0: yeah i wrote this thing a few weeks ago about the sort of like different structures of songwriting power yeah. in bands mm-hmm. you know and i think that almost everyone that i know has gone from some form of like democratic songwriting yeah gradually towards more author- authoritarian band organizing right you know? yeah mm-hmm. And I think that like, obviously to your point, you're still allowing for input from the other musicians, but the, yeah, it just makes more sense on a workflow level. If there's one person who's like main job in the band is to write the songs. It kind of makes everyone else, everyone else's jobs a lot easier. Right. Yeah, you know? exactly.
1: Yeah. That That's, that's how, that's how I feel about it. And like, I think it's just like, it's, it's less of a stressor on my bandmates too. Like Donnie is, has his, like a solo project he's been working on. Like David has gentle heat, which is like, you know, his songwriting baby and, you know, vastly complicated music that, I, I definitely can't play Um, and, and uh, you know, a lot of effort and Tim's and, you know, Furby and has his own things. I, and so like, yeah, it just kind of, it's kind of easier just to kind of, you know, have it be like a top down thing and which is great. But yeah, in comparison to like Yeesh, which was like, you know, I think me, I think, you know, the three of us wanted it to be like a really democratic process where like, you know, we were all working together on everything and that we weren't going to move forward with any idea that, anybody didn't like, you know, in, in my mind, like Fugazi was kind of like the, the big model there. And that's like, that was cool. And I'm, that was a, that was a great way to work and I'm glad I did it, but it it just took a long time. And I think it like, you know, I think it took the three of us a long time to like learn, you know, each other's strengths and, you know, what we were going to like and weren't going to like, and you know, what each person wasn't, wasn't going to like, and kind of like, you know, hone that in. And I think by the time we were like writing for Saw You Up There, I think we were like, really had we were kind of at like at like peak fitness where we were i mean that that's like why we were able to churn out like you know you know a ton of songs and then you know scrap a bunch of them that we knew that we you know they weren't going to make the record which is like yeah so there there was like there was i don't know it i think i think that that has a big part to do with like the maturity uh factor and like you know finding finding our place in Chicago and finding mm-hmm. my place in Chicago
0: and so you mentioned that you started to feel more at home like how uh, I'm seeing that there's this kind of interesting parallel, and for like, correct me if I'm wrong about drawing this, but you said that with like within the last two years or so, has been when your mastering job has really kind of and your mastering career has really come into focus and mm-hmm. become really productive, and that seems to line up pretty well from what I can tell with when you started to feel. More comfortable in the Chicago music scene writ large. Yeah.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think, I think that, um, I don't know exactly. Yeah. I I mean, I think those two definitely, two things definitely correlate. I mean, I think the bit, I think for me personally, and, and I definitely wouldn't say this for, you know, I, I wouldn't speak for Alex and Pete here, but like, I think, I think a big part of like learning to be comfortable in and, and like find a kind of like more of a sense of purpose in, uh, like the music community here had a lot to do with like I hate to say it but like my my big Leo energy which I've heard this is a thing that like Leos do where it's like like no I don't like that person or whatever like I for some reason I I feel I feel like you know I, I think for a long time in like my early and mid twenties I like thought that everyone was like against me or you know that I had to have this like sort of like adversarial. Relationship with music and with my peers, mm-hmm. which was like super poisonous and really unproductive, and you know, and and I and I think just kind of was this like you know byproduct of like how insecure I was about what I was making and the things I was doing, and I think that like in the last you know few years, it I, I think I realized that like everybody feels that way to some degree, and I think everybody. I I I think that like you know artists and like musicians as a lot are like often like uncomfortable and not confident in their work and sort of like surprised that you know uh, when people like you know gravitate to it or when it when it finds a foothold and I think like once I kind of like started seeing that like you know I was you know ever even if, even if like the music's totally different that like everybody's like you know kind of like going through the same things as like a as like an artist and creator that it made me like really kind of bond with people in a deeper way and um i don't know just made just made made me more comfortable uh yeah i don't know i guess like the mastering stuff has had to do with that in some way i mean i got i guess i i think like in the last two years i had like you know some some bigger records come out like with the deep first deeper record and the paul cherry record and and i don't know maybe those had something to do with like maybe people being like, oh, he mastered those records, but I don't know. Yeah. Something like that.
0: <laughs> I would actually say that there's probably a chance that, and you know, again, correct me if I'm wrong, but the way I would look at it is I feel like I had a similar combative relationship with music mm-hmm. and a sort of sense of like my way or the highway and like this sort of maybe like quote unquote elitist way of looking at things until I worked at a venue where I had to hear stuff that didn't sound anything like the music that I liked yeah for like weeks and weeks and weeks and months and months on end mm-hmm. you know and that kind of forced me to like listen not just as like oh is this music that I like but more like is this person trying really hard like are they sincere yeah you know and I could see that like working on other people's projects would maybe engender a similar kind of empathy yeah definitely
1: I think that definitely had something to do with it yeah I mean I like I yeah I think that I yeah I I I, I yeah, yeah that absolutely does i i mean I, I on every record like you know on every once in a while you know i inevitably if you're a, you know a mastering engineer or mixing engineer like you're gonna work on, on a record that you don't enjoy you know that isn't like in your wheelhouse but like uh pretty much every time i i get a record that like i think i'm gonna hate like at some point in the process i find things to like about it and like and find things to enjoy about it and um and I, yeah, I think like, like, yeah, I think you're right. That, like, that if, I think if you have to do that and interface with music in that way long enough, that you, then you like start to start to get good at like, you know, engaging with music on its own terms um, and like finding the good in it, even if it's not something that like you immediately like gravitate towards. And yeah, I think, I think, I think that is something that is a, a big part to do with it. I think also like, I think being in clearance too, like, had a, a lot to do with like kind of me coming around to being less adversarial just because like I, when I joined clearance, I don't think it was like, you know, the, you know, it's not they're not songs I would have written. And, you know, they, it, it wasn't like maybe immediately what I would think of, but it was like, you know, it was, uh, m- you know, my friend's band and, you know, I, I wanted to be a part of it. But I think, I think, I think over the, over the course of like, you know, you know, being, being in that band, which I, you know, again, like initially maybe it wasn't, you know, one one hundred percent my thing, and and then like learning to kind of own it, and you know, have it become my thing, and like kind of really respect the songs, and you know, learn learn, you know, I don't know, and like you know, be friends with these bands that like I you know didn't sound like Fugazi or you know Pile or something, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like eventually like that. I think that like kind of made me be like, oh, like I don't know, it's yeah, everybody, yeah, everybody's going through the same thing and on the same page, and like you know, it, what, what what you know what really matters is you know, bonding. And I, I should say, I don't know. I don't want to th- me to sound, I don't, I don't know. I don't want to sound like too negative on clearance or anything. I, you know, those songs are incredible. And I, and I, and I did love being in that band. I, I definitely did like take me a while to, to kind of, I think like come around to it in the same way though, quicker than like say Yeesh did.
0: Mm-hmm. And so, the, the, both, both of those bands yeesh and clearance i remember being somewhat concurrent like obviously you joined clearance while you were what, what yeesh was still around and at what point did stuck start to come into the picture because i remember back in the day that you'd always sort of floated this you know greg solo project ah idea. yes <laughs> and so was stuck basically the manifestation of that or was that was the process of to getting to stuck a bit different?
1: Um, I think that like I, I had like a solo project that I did with like, it was like me and Peter and Ben Grigg. Uh, yeah. And, and, and like I, I recorded like an EP with David Trino and then I like only released it as like a single. So yeah, that, I that, that was, that was like the, I I had that, like I, I did that like solo project in some form, uh, and that I think that I think was like kind of pretty concurrent with like Yeesh and Clearance, or no, maybe or maybe that was like in the year that I quit Clearance. I can't remember, but but like it it was in there somewhere. And like that was really fun, and I liked that, and I like playing that style of music. It was very like you know just kind of like hard on my sleeve indie rock, you know, trying to sound mm-hmm. like Super Chunk or Jay Retard a little bit, and just kind of and but I I think like I just kind of found that I think I think like the. I, I think at the end of the day, like the the subject material was like so intimate and like that I it was it, 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 I just felt uncomfortable to play. It felt like really confessional, and I kind of I think it kind of scared me off at some point. I don't know. It I don't know. It is what it is. It's like I feel like it's kind of a shame, but and but it, it'll always be there for me if I want to come back to it. But yeah, I think like the weird thing about Stuck was that like. I feel, so yeah, like that project kind of started when, uh, so yeah, Yeesh broke up and we finished the record and called it a, called it a day. And then Clearance put out uh, At Your Leisure and then we were touring on that like really aggressively for like a year. And then like Mike got into, uh, Mike Bellis got into like grad school and, and moved to Scotland on a Fulbright for that. And yeah. And so, and, and so then like, you know, like I, I suddenly didn't have any musical project except for Born Yesterday, my label. Um, mm-hmm. okay. And, and that was, and so I th- me and Kevin kind of started to Kevin Fairbairn, who's my, my label partner. um, We had, st- we had started like the label sometime in like 2017 and we, and so then like after all the bands kind of ended, that kind of became like for, for me and Kevin was also in clearance. And so that really became like, our kind of like creative project. We we had kind of figured. I think we kind of were in this headspace where we we're just like, okay, we've like graduated from like you know being in bands. We don't really want to tour anymore. Let's just you know and and like I think both of us had, had had our hearts broken by by you know the record industry in different ways and and we're just kind of like ready to to just you know move on to this thing that would be more of kind of like a managerial or like you know. Um, supportive position, you know, we were ready to be on the sidelines. And so that was just kind of like my main focus for a long time. And what
0: were the early days of running the label? Like, like what was, what was the early stage before stuck happened? What was the, the born yesterday day to day? Like,
1: um, we, we, we kind of started the label. Cause we thought it'd be funny if we, if we ran a label, like, and that, and that was when clearance was still a band. And I think a lot of like the early conversations about the band happened when we were on the road in clearance and then, and and then like a uh, like, kind of by accident we wound up living together because I had bed bugs and he had like kind of suddenly lost a living situation and we just kind of like we were just like ah both of us need like a roommate like we're just gonna move in together um mm-hmm. which wound up being like the best possible thing for like a budding label because like it you know we just were around each other, you know, like we could like, you know, talk about like, you know, oh, like, did you call a got a groove this morning? And like, you know, about, you know, getting the this record press. Yeah, I did. You know, just like over breakfast or whatever, or or after band practice or something. Uh So that was really nice. Yeah, we would just kind of like do it on the, yeah, like as we saw each other in passing. And yeah, that started with the first band was Landowner. And we found out about them because Dan Shaw, who's in Landowner, saw Clearance on the road, and handed them a tape and you know i don't know a lot of yeah a lot of times when you get handed a tape on at a show you're like not sure if it's gonna be good or bad but they I, I wasn't in i wasn't in clearance at the time but they the four of them listened to it in the car and they were like completely floored by it and then and then they were like oh man greg's either really gonna like this or really gonna hate this i don't know why they <laughs> thought i was gonna hate it but like they get you know, like uh like later on when i was playing with them again they showed it to me and and I was like pretty blown away by it, um and that was like their first record impressive Almanac, and we yeah, and then so like when when I came when me and Kevin were like starting the label, like landowner was like one of the first bands that we had thought to ask, and uh they were real su- surprisingly really receptive to it and and yeah, so then that that was like a huge i mean that that release like did uh well, and you know, like we sold out of those records, which mm. is still kind of blows my mind Damn, um yeah, congrats. Yeah, it's like it's out of it's out of print now. Um and uh which is you know, wild for like a first release to happen. Yeah, I'm I'm so proud of like Dan Shaw. He's just like he's he's just like really incredible uh songwriter and like it polit- not only like songwriter and like musician, but like just kind of like political thinker. Like mm-hmm. I don't know. I think like I I just, you know, I like you know, I, I feel I feel like the stuck songs. It's like oftentimes just like me parroting out like whatever I heard on like on the media or whatever, like you know, lefty podcast or, or whatever. But like I feel like Dan's ideas are like really like you know fresh and interesting and thought thought provoking in a different kind of way. But yeah, so that was, so that was like a really cool way to start the label. I think like both me and Kevin still feel like extremely grateful that we got to be a part of that record. So yeah, like, and then at that time, like, you know, we were kind of graduated from bands or felt, thought we were, and then like, but I, you know, just kind of started demoing stuff at home and just, you know, for fun and, you know, just to kind of goof off. And I had kind of had like, eventually like had like, you know, gathered some songs together, and like kind of you know was thinking about starting a band but i was i was very intent on like not touring still and um uh spoiler alert i'm still not on tour uh but yeah like you know just like i didn't want to tour at all and i didn't want to you know put any effort into it i just kind of wanted it to be like you know a fun local like punk project to like open for if like a friend's band comes through and they're having f- trouble finding like local support. Like, you know, I can get my band together or whatever. And that's kind of like the extent of like the band that I really ever wanted it to be. But yeah, it just didn't go that way. I, like, you know, I, eventually like, you know, we got, you know, that we kind of got the, the had some like lineup changes and eventually it wound up being me and Tim green uh, and Donnie Walsh and David Algrim and the, and you know, yeah, it, you know, we, we just kind of like, started playing around and you know i yeah just yeah like I, I think i think we we our first show was at ben griggs house with fucker jr and some other bands and then our second show was at exhalance at sub t and then i like i can't remember i don't know if it's like i think it might have been our third show oh no our third show was with pool holograph at a diy space called grand manor and that was like Really, I think like the first kind of turning point of the band where it was like, oh, like people are like really receptive to this suddenly. Mm-hmm. And like, and, and it was also like, you know, wild to be opening for pool holograph, which is like, they're friends of mine. And, you know, I think they kind of, you know, had us on the bill as like, a, you know, like kind of a sense of, you know, goodwill, you know, to their friends and like, oh, like they can be the opening band and that's fine. But, you know, they're you know they're they're and they're my friends and like you know i love them for that but i'm also like deeply revere that band like they're just so such uh wildly talented songwriters and players and so yeah that was just like a really fun show and i think that like after that we kind of just like started taking it more seriously and then we we got to open up for this band lithics at um empty bottle and i think after that we were like oh like it's weird that we can get on to like a bill opening up for lithics who are you know another incredible band and you know i think it kind of made us kind of start to take
0: it take things more seriously so during those early shows were you playing the material that would end up on the debut record that just came out
1: yeah 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 All the all like i think there's like maybe there's two songs that we didn't put on the record that yeah that were like just kind of fell by the wayside along the way but the the uh like plank and era and um wrong question were all we're all really early songs on that note, wrong question. That was written collaboratively. Like there's, there's still Mm -hmm. definitely some stuff that's like written collaboratively on the record, including like invisible wall, which I think is like everybody's favorite song. And which is always baffling to me because it's, it's not my favorite song on the record,
0: but you know, I'm glad that people like it. If I had to speculate about why it's the repeating decimal thing is just like the biggest like hook, you know? Uh, And also it's so early on in the record that like, it immediately is like, Oh, th- there's a lot of personality in that song. And yeah. I think that's what people gravitate to. Yeah. I I, I think it's, a, it's just like a,
1: it's a really weird, I've, I've always been really good at like, kind of like doing like weird, like, yep. And like yodeling stuff for mm-hmm. whatever reason. And I think that song was like me, like leaning into that as hard as, as hard as I could. And yeah, I don't know. I think that you're right that. Yeah. Cause I I feel like, I feel like as I listen to the record, like try to stand back from it and listen to it. Like it does kind of have like, it kind of starts out, off like a, post-punk song and then it kind of goes to this really weird like tense place that like you don't kind of expect it to go from the beginning of the song like i feel like that song could have been written in like a different in like a very different way and it could just like stay you know kind of with the the bouncy uh post-punk thing but it just kind of um it, it it goes in a different direction yeah
0: i don't know i guess that's it yeah um, it's 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 simultaneously like it gets you with the genre stuff of the post-punk element which is definitely like much more pronounced in this band than any of the previous bands I've heard of yours. It seems like that was something that like the, the you were going for, but there's the difference is that like the drama gets like really cranked up by the end of invisible wall. Like it feels like it's not just like there to sound cool, which Mm -hmm. is my problem with a lot of post punk is that it's just like holding you at a remove for the sake of being at a remove. And totally. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And this instead, it's like, no, we're going to get to that emotional core and i think that's the other thing that makes the song resonate is the feeling that you're describing you know one you're using a metaphor of you know video games as like it's it's the language that i think a lot of our generation speaks to Mm. describe a situation that i think a lot of people feel like they're in yeah you know right like being an npc in someone else's game it's like i I would say like a a predominant feeling
1: (laughs) yeah definitely yeah and i I think yeah it does kind of just like it feels like it kind of gets at like i feel like that song does kind of map out like a lot of major themes of like the record and and the band and yeah i feel like there's i don't know i i feel like the I feel like stuck came at like, I don't know. I think so. Yeah. Ever since high school, I think I've always been in like a lot of bands and, you know, I don't know. And it's like every musician, you know, that you just wind up being in a lot of bands. If you play something, Mm -hmm. especially if you play bass or drums and yeah, I just kind of like, I, I, and like, I I think like in my, you know, twenties and like living in Chicago, I kind of had it like compartmentalized where it's like, okay, Yeesh is the band where I'm like, I want to be like heavy and dissonant and like, you know, uh, gritty and then clearances, like where I get to kind of like ride in the backseat with the, this, you know, you know, these more song driven pieces and, and, you know, and, and stuff and, and that, and that's it, you know, and like, and, uh, that, you know, felt good. And, and that worked for me for a long time. Um, and I, and, and I didn't like, I didn't plan it out like this, but I think just like having no, being in no bands for like the course of a year and like, just kind of like figure goofing off in my you know like you know in my bedroom by myself like demoing stuff i think like kind of like the the two kind those two kind of things kind of came together in a way where i was like okay like you know these are gonna it just wind up being this like you know very kind of songwriter focused um you know kind of top-down mentality that like could be fuzzy and like fucked up and and, and emotional at times and and well and also was just kind of just like you know me trying to you know imitate like a lot of the just kind of post punky stuff like that i've been really listening to for the past several years like um mm-hmm. lithics and Marble Die and omni and you know all all that stuff so yeah it just kind of like would it be
0: would it be fair to say that Ott are probably another thing that's in your ingredients at this point oh big time yeah. yeah i i love yeah they're well they're like they're like one of those like constant bands for me um mm.
1: where it's like i think that i don't know i yeah they, they were a big thing for each too oh. Um, cause like, some... I remember
0: like when you ever like notice your friend get into a band to such a degree that you can tell that it's going to like change their art. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <definitely. laughs> That's how I felt when I saw like when you got into art, like you got into art like the way that like people get into bands when they're teenagers. Yes. You know? Yeah. Uh huh. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely,
1: I think like all of us got like really obsessive with them for a while. And I don't know. I, th- I think that like a big part of that w- uh, one of the big parts of that was i think i just like i think i just found out about them through like i think it was just like i was going on the empty bottle website just like looking for shows that you could possibly open up for and like i saw like their name on a bill and like you know looked it up and i was like oh this is really really good you know and i feel like that like I, i've been talking with kevin my label partner a lot, about this a lot you know it's just like I don't know. Like I I have definitely discovered some really great bands from like the algorithm from Spotify or or like Bandcamp too. Uh well no, I I'll, I'll leave Bandcamp out of this cuz that's a different thing. But like but, yeah, I've I found like good bands through like Spotify and stuff. But like I think, you know, finding something on your own and like seeing a band open up for, you know, just seeing like an opening band at a show or having a friend give you a record or, you know, find, you know, seeing something on a bill uh, you know, I th- I feel like that like always like m- is like a multiplier for like you know your engagement with that music that like mm-hmm. can't be replicated by an algorithm, and I think that maybe that had something to do with it. Yeah, I I I, I love I love uh, just like Sun coming down and the record before that are just so such like h- beautiful records. I don't know. I I guess yeah, they just like felt like real true like art rock or art punk or something like that. Especially mm-hmm. I I think I think I hadn't like really quite in quite gotten down with like the fall uh when i heard some coming down so maybe that was like kind of like a you know, like because i feel like they, the, that record really like boils down a lot of like you know marky e. smith's ideas
0: yeah sometimes you need like a newer band to introduce you to old ideas definitely yeah absolutely yeah so you mentioned that you know invisible wall kind of addresses a lot of what are the big themes of the record as you see it what are the big themes of the record
1: um the big themes are so i yeah at at the like so yeah the the, this was definitely the first time i'd ever tried to write something that felt like a coherent idea lyrically from start to finish uh which was like a thing that was never possible with yeesh really because it was like me and alex writing and also like we hated writing lyrics and would always like really put it off and i still do um but uh yeah it's like and i'm not sure if i'll ever be able to do it again too because like i don't think I have that much to say but yeah so the the kind of big idea was just that like a a lot of it was like uh, me unpacking my parents death um Mm -hmm. my mom passed away in 2015 from breast cancer and my dad uh passed away um in uh Jesus uh, 2018 uh due to uh, Lewy body dementia which is sort of like Parkinson's um and uh yeah and so that I had like just like a lot of like very Complicated grief, like over the course of like the last five years, uh, that I and and then eventually, I, like after my dad died, I started seeing a therapist because it was like a, it was like a, this has to happen sort of thing. Cause I was getting like really, I had gotten to this like really psychically fragile place, mm-hmm. um, and, uh, which was terrible. Um, and, uh, being in therapy helped a lot and it, and it kind of got me like figuring out a lot of things. Um, and i see yeah i think the the big theme of the record is just kind of like me kind of like unpacking like a lot of just unpacking a lot of grief and like in in that time i think i just felt like a a lot of like very like deep kind of nihilism about the world and uh just yeah just like really down on life um and 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 i kind of just like wanted to write a, a lot about like about like that kind of like feeling of the, the, the feelings that you go through in grief where it's like these feelings of like, like nothing matters. Uh, everything is worthless. I am worthless. Um, and, uh, yeah. So, and so, so like, so like death in that way. And then, and then on the other end of it is like the kind of political end of, um, this kind of death of any like political imagination in in basically like, I don't know, the democratic party or whatever. And like, yeah, where it was just like, you know, like, you know, not nothing, nothing can fund like, it. Like, just like the Joe Biden quote, like nothing will fundamentally change was like kind of, that was like the impetus for like change is bad. Um, uh, <laughs> right. Yeah, and, yeah. Yeah. I see. Cause that's what <laughs> it boils down to. It was like, it's like, no change is bad. Was, like, mm-hmm. and, and so, and so, yeah, it was like, they're, they're like, I feel like it's like the, the two things where it's like, um, yeah, any type of political change is bad or like imagination for any future that we haven't already seen like, you know, in like, you know, neo- neoliberal policy, that's one thing. And also like, just like the amount of changes that I was going through personally or, or in, in that time, um, and like the grief that I was going through, those things like just felt like really cohesive to me in my brain. And I think I try to like kind of hit on both of those in every song at some point. Um, and yeah, yeah. that's kind of where it went.
0: That's a, that's a really clever way of combining those two ideas because they're almost like in their actual interpretation mean two different things. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. Like they're they're two very separate emotions. Like it's on one end people telling you that change is bad when you want change, mm-hmm. and on the other hand, experiencing change that is actually bad in your life. Yeah. You know. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so that that adds like a really kind of dense soup to for the the lyrical themes to kind of stew in it's cool yeah yeah and then i yeah yeah exactly uh and it's a lot (laughs) yeah yeah but the other thing that i was getting a lot from the record is just sort of like a sense of fatalism you know Mm -hmm. like especially with the closing track and i I always look to like closing tracks to kind of tell me how to hear the rest of the album sort of Mm -hmm. you know because where you end up sort of explains where you were going the whole time Mm -hmm. definitely bells i feel like is very much about the sense of, like, looking mortality in the face or to some extent, but also the way that that kind of creeps in and makes you treat everything in your life as sort of fatalistic to some extent. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And, yeah, I don't know. I think that's a good, like, way to, to listen to a record, first of all. Um, and, and, yeah, I, I that uh the, I, we put that song at the end very, that was tim's idea to put that uh, that song at the end of the record but mm-hmm. um it very it very that's very much like how we kind of felt about it is that especially especially after the like reading the lyrics was that like the, that song was kind of like the summing up of like the themes of the record and yeah i guess that song in particular is just about i i guess like i, I like one of those like kind of micro themes in the record uh, that pertains to feeling like nothing matters and, and is, is that like nothing is real, you know? Um, mm-hmm. and, and I think that's like kind of what invisible wall touches on a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which, which, well, you know, just like feeling like is like, is this like a video game or a simulation or something or does anything really matter? Um, do I matter? Um, and, and like, and I think bells is, uh, you know, part of that because it's about just the idea of time and, you know, just how time is just like marching forward constantly and there's just like yeah there's nothing you can do about it um mm-hmm. and then it's it's it, it is very like yeah fatalistic and uh yeah it's just yeah uh yeah like i i guess there there's a, like the kind of this the idea of that like time is a dimension and yeah I, like while i was also like i think while i was like really writing the lyrics to the record i was reading a lot of three-body problem like this like series of like sci-fi novels and i i think like and that kind of got me down this like rabbit hole of like theoretical physics that I totally don't understand and, and I'm not going to, and, and like, you know, absolutely butcher. But uh yeah, that just kind of like the idea that like time is like predetermined and that like all matter has like a predetermined course that it like follows through this dimension of time and that mm-hmm. like, we can't see that dimension, but it, that doesn't mean it doesn't exist. um You know, it's like that Billy Pilgrim, uh, in Slaughterhouse Five thing, where yeah. you know he can't let you know, it's like he's like stuck on a train and only has like this viewfinder where he can only see it, like you know, as it that, see the world as it passes by
0: him. Um, right, that actually that brilliantly also kind of loops back around to our uh, Denny Villeneuve discussion because that's also sort of what's going on in Arrival. as yeah. well. Yeah, I've been meaning to rewatch
1: Arrival. I totally forgot. I keep, I, God, I gotta like get make a list of like movies I've been meaning to rewatch in
0: quarantine because that's that's mm-hmm. high up there. Yeah, um, I that would be heavy considering. It, kind of draws from a lot of the stuff that you're talking about, but yeah, yeah it's, it's a, it's a, that's a really good movie. I, I, I would recommend rewatching it. I quite enjoy it personally. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I, I see. So yeah. That's like, I I think that's like kind of, that's definitely like what the, all the major themes of bells kind mm-hmm. of are. And I, and I feel like it kind of like, yeah, like reflects on every, everything back in the record. Uh, there, there are two
0: other groups of songs that I'd like to, to, touch on Um, you brought up wrong question and that's one that i thought was interesting because i feel like a lot of the criticism you know on some of the other more politically oriented songs it's kind of easy to be as a listener be like yeah i agree and that makes me feel good Mm -hmm. you know and then wrong question is great because it kind of like twists it back on the like it sounds like you're describing the lifestyle of someone who could potentially be a fan of your band. You know? <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Right. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. People, I, I feel like, I feel like, yeah, I don't know. I, I feel
1: like if any, if anybody, I feel like I, I get asked about that song a lot. Yeah. And I feel like if, if anything, that one's like maybe a little bit more, I think that like the, I, cause like I wrote the lyrics for that, like, earlier than everything else so i think if anything that maybe doesn't fit as well into the frame as like the other stuff or like doesn't hit on the themes in the same way but yeah that song it's really just about like um i mean i guess it does in so far as it's like it's a song about having like you know some level of like trauma and like you know and and going through therapy and like you know having to deal with um heavy stuff but yeah that song is like uh just kind of about like self-care and how I think self-care is great. Like for sure. I, you know, I really enjoy, I don't know, working out and meditating when I can convince myself to do it. And like uh, all that stuff is like really good and good for your soul and your and your body and stuff like that. And I, and I, and I, and I like definitely don't knock it, but there's like, uh, there's definitely this, like, you know, I, I, I think I hate like the kind of um, language around self-care that is just used as like a means to sell you something. And I, and I find that like very gross and weird and kind of upsetting. And I, yeah, I don't know. That That's, that's kind of like what the, and, 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 and like, you know, to, to be having like, you know, this kind of like response to, you know, you know, very serious things at at the time that what felt like serious, you know, like, you know, we're we're, like, you know, uh, political things happening to kind of this like, you know, like, oh, I'm just going to like, you know, you know, shut it out and like sit back and like
0: that, that, that just doesn't feel like the
1: right response. Um, Totally. But it's
0: also the kind of response that like people like, to your point, it's really easy for a bunch of corporations to see like, oh, people are really stressed that's a great time to sell them something that will calm them down. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you know, exactly. T- yeah. To use the language of like, Oh, take care of yourself because you're in a rough spot to then sell you things that ultimately are not going to solve the problem, but will at least make you you know sink into your couch for a while.
1: Right. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's just, it's very like, it's, it's just like a very, it's like one of those things that like, you know, it just gets used very cynically in this like a really cynical way by, by, you know, large, big, big corporations and big powers, which is, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's gross. That And that, that song kind of got set on by like, I don't know. I, found, I, I watched like Polygon posted some like video about how Pokemon and like Hello Kitty and all of the very like cutesy like Japanese uh, stuff all came about in the 1990s, which was like Japan's lost, lost decade where they right. just had like a, a crushing depression and like, you know, every, everybody wanted like, you know, some like you know, reprieve, uh, you know, from, from like, you know, just like the really awful world around them. And so like, you know, that's why like, you know, those things like really took off. So, you know, of course yeah. it has to touch
0: on Pokemon in some way. <laughs> like if, if it's a record I wrote, have you watched Paranoia agent? No you okay you need to watch paranoia agent because it's it's about that exact phenomenon but from a japanese perspective okay it's it's an anime basically about how like cutesy anime shit came in to distract everyone from real problems right yeah i'm gonna write that down yeah it's i I put it in the same tier as like evangelion and oh and stuff like that this is like top tier top of the shelf shit for me personally anyway
1: yeah absolutely I'm always looking for I, I feel like, I, I, I feel like I totally tuned out on anime and I always want to watch it, but I don't know what's good anymore. So that's yeah.
0: good because I haven't watched that one yet. It's it's really, really fantastic stuff. There's another pair of songs I'd like to discuss. Uh I don't want to keep you on forever, but fine. You know, you've got Plank Two, which happens before Plank One mm-hmm. on the record. And I feel like Plank Two is a pretty straightforward song lyrically it's like openly extremely political and basically it's like this finger pointed at people who make these decisions at you know at a whim that cost you know people their lives yeah Mm -hmm. and plank two i had a or plank one rather i had a harder time parsing Mm -hmm. and then also trying to consider them in relation to each other i i was kind of left unsure of what to make of it what what's going on in the relation between those two tracks um i don't i don't know um yeah i i I, so i think we
1: put plank two before plank one because it was funny that's a there's a big thing in the band which is like that a lot of decisions are made because i think they're funny um sure (laughs) (laughs) like the change is bad is definitely the title is of the record is definitely something that i thought was funny um just because have of how like you know um, simplistic it is yeah, and yeah. and i and i thought that was funny yeah i i don't know I, I i just i don't really like um i like i want the band to be serious and i want it to be brooding but i don't want it to be like too serious or like you know we're not allowed to have a sense of humor about things and uh yeah so i don't know i think yeah i just feel like that's worth noting but yeah I, so that was i think why we put plank 2 first and i think honestly like, plank 2 was like a placeholder title for that song when cuz i think i think i was like something that I'm always trying to like my, something that mike Bellis and clearance is like real was really good at is like I remember him talking about mm-hmm. you know it's like oh, you write like one song and then you like rewrite that song three times, um you know, and you do that with four songs then you have twelve songs you know <laughs> like and and huh. so like i that that's always kind of been my songwriting philosophy where it's like you know if I can get like one really good thing and like you know try to take apart like what makes it work and tick and stuff so that I think plank two is me trying to like rewrite plank one and it kind of just stuck around as like a a working title and and never really left but i think i think that like given that like dichotomy about or the 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 kind of like dual meaning of like change is bad where it's like at one end it's like you know highly political and one is highly personal i feel like i feel like plank two is like the highly you know political end and then Plank 1 is like the highly personal end where that that song's like like very directly about like my dad passing away mm-hmm. um and, and 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 also just like this like you know the like kind of like very heavy like feelings of like worthlessness so i don't know i guess i guess I, I, like you know I, I it sort of like makes sense in my brain as like the kind of other other side of it i
0: guess i don't know i don't know if that makes sense at all <laughs> certainly well at the very least they are feelings that would inform each other you know like right mm-hmm in a in a position where you feel like the world for reasons that are outside of your control have left you feeling worthless seeing a politician treat people's lives as worthless is both par for the course and infuriating yeah
1: know? right and i and i i think that's something that i i don't know i mean i don't want to sound like unsympathetic or something but i i just think i think i just like didn't know I don't know. Death is like super uncomfortable. It's like an uncomfortable thing to talk about. Nobody knows how to talk about it. You know, it's something that we all are going to go through, you know, either losing someone and then, you know, ourselves dying eventually. Like, and it's like kind of like the, the biggest, you know, it's just like the biggest thing that, you know, like that defines our existence. And it's like, and nobody knows how to talk about it. And I, and I, I don't think I really knew how to like really even feel about death or or cope with death. Like, Um, until like, you know, I lost both of both of my parents, which again, it's like, that's like a very common thing. And I think that, but I think that like, just like even that, like very common experience of like having to go through grief of like, you know, having lost, you know, loved ones really like recontextualized when you hear, you know, about, you know, domestic abuse, you know, killing people, which I I think was like specifically what like, um, was like, you know, Trump rolling back, like, you know. It, it, you know like uh, various like laws on, on that and like you know like the, the people are gonna die from that and like you know that, that's like when you when you I, I think it just like when you hear about death in the news it just like takes on like a much bigger meaning I think that's like th- it's especially true now with like you know like there's a nine eleven every day, you know, like, uh, you know, it's like, there's, you know, like 3000 people dying, like, you know, and like right. all the time, it's like, you know, that it's just unfathomable and, um, like the way that, you know, that the absolute utter disregard for human life from, you know, uh, powers, you know, from, from like, you know, the Trump administration and Republicans and, and, you know, some, like some Democrats is like just so, I don't know. Yeah, it just sucks.
0: It's disgusting. <laughs> to your point, the the fact that you look at a number like that, like three thousand a day, and it kind of just like makes your eyes cross. Like you can't actually figure that out. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make lived sense. Like we can't put a finger on that. Yeah. But and like I I you can probably tell that I've been pushing slowly more towards the sociological and political end of your songwriting because I myself am sort of uncomfortable. Asking you and talking about death because it's, you know, maybe that's my fault as an interviewer, but it's just like, I don't, I don't know how to talk about it. Oh yeah. But no one does. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But to your point, like having a personal relationship with death in the way that you do does, you can't explain deaths like 2,998. Yeah. Right. But at least you have a crack in that figure that mm-hmm. allows you to put everything else about it into perspective.
1: Yeah, right. Yeah, it's like yeah, definitely like yeah, it's like a what's the word I'm looking for? Oh my god. Like a cipher into that into like, you know, kind of what that means, you know, for you know everybody that's going to like, you know, lose somebody because of this. Yeah. But mm-hmm. yeah, it's like it's like I don't know. I, I yeah, I don't know. I don't I I think that's like that was something that like took me a while to figure out like what uh you know when you know, my, my mom passed away in 2015 was like, you know, I think I, I felt like, I think, I think kind of like, I don't know. I I wouldn't want to like compare like grieving my parents uh, cause that seems like a bad thing to do. But I I think like when, when my mom passed away, like I don't think I, I knew as many people who had like, you know, lost uh really close loved ones. And I didn't, I didn't know that nobody knew how to talk about it. So I just thought everybody was like alienating me also cause I was like, you know, grieving. So I was like, you know just not thinking rationally and and i and i think when when like you know a couple a couple of years later when my my dad passed away i was a little bit more like under you know understanding and like you know had like more tools to be like okay i know that like you know not everybody knows exactly how you know that this is uncomfortable and not everybody knows how to talk, how to talk about it and like and that's fine so yeah i think i think that is, but i i just i don't i don't know i don't want it to sound like um i would never fault anybody for that you know it's it's just, it's just like you know a thing that again super common and you know when something that everybody's going to go through at some point it's i mean i'm lucky that i went through like you know uh 25 years of my life without like you know um having you know lost anybody that i was like you know really that close with so right uh you know i'm certainly lucky for that but um yeah i don't know that's all
0: Death. that sucks and nobody knows how to talk about it <laughs> <laughs> there's sort of this looming question you know you've just put out this record and you were supposed to be going on tour mm-hmm. for it and suddenly we're all in this position where no bands can tour Right. Per the conversation we had at the beginning of the call about, you know, you didn't make the decision to push your record back. You're like, no, we're we're putting this stuck record out into the world. Mm-hmm. And it seems like, at least from where I'm sitting, the response has been really good. Yeah. And I'm just sort of, I'm curious about what your state of mind is about, you know, you're kind of in a, a really weird position of having this record out that people really like and not being able to promote it on the road yeah Uh, how are you grappling with that um it's been weird but also like not that
1: weird i mean yeah i i'd be lying if i said that like i don't know like yeah i i we you know i i'm i'm like just like one one thing of many things it's like you know we definitely didn't sell the records that we thought we were going to sell on tour, you know, that's like you know mm-hmm. a big, uh, you know, that's how you sell most of your records is by being on the road. But I, we sold a lot of records through Bandcamp and through the label in a way that I don't think that would have happened if you know under normal circumstances. Um, right. Like people, like you know, really have like really gone to bat for artists and for their friends in the last you know couple months in a pretty staggering way, and you know. I think, I think like having the record out at that time has certainly, I think given it maybe more, uh, kind of visibility, you know, I'd be lying if I it said, it, if I said it didn't give it like, you know, the record some more visibility is like, you know, people are like, you know, really eager to, you know, support bands that, you know, have had to like cancel tours and stuff like that. So that's been, it's been like, it's, I mean, it's been cool, you know, I, you know, obviously it's not the circumstances that I would want that to happen in but as you know it's it's definitely a factor so yeah it's like I, I'm I'm really like super pleased about about how like the record's been doing and um how people have received it people seem seem to like it and yeah I, I don't know I, th- I think it's I think that's like a a reception that I've gotten for it's, it's a different than any reception I've gotten for any like anything else I've ever really been a part of which is uh wild and like I don't know I still don't really exactly know how to uh, deal with that. And yeah, I think, I think, I think for the future, like we're gonna, I don't know, we're going to tour at some point, uh, but I don't, I don't know when, you know, I like, I, I think, I mean, we'll, we'll see what happens when it happens is like, you know, stuff start, stuff starts to reopen, but I mean, I can't really fathom getting on the road again until there's like, like a vaccine or a, you know, widely available means of treatment you know Mm -hmm. I just don't really know if I'd like I mean I'm probably gonna be it's probably gonna take me a while before I even feel comfortable going to shows as like a patron and I and I I don't really I haven't really like quite unpacked what it's gonna mean for me when like you know venues start opening again and, and I can go back to work but maybe you know there's only you know they're not letting in more than like 50 people or something like that. I don't right. know. We'll we'll see what happens, but I, I think I think we are like really eager to go on tour again uh, because we we did like two tours. We did we went on tour with Pile and then we were, went on tour with Shell Shell. And both of those were short, but super fun. And yeah, I I think we just like, you know, we've really, it's always kind of a question with a new band, like, you know, like what's touring going to be like. And, And I feel like we, you know, have found that we, the four of us enjoy being around each other and that we can do it. And it seems like audiences are receptive to it. So looking forward to hitting the road again, but you know, I just, I just don't really see it happening anytime soon, but it's just, I don't know. I think it's just like, you know, it's just like another one of those things where it's like, I think, like, the sooner that you accept it, the reality of it, the easier it is to, you Mm -hmm. know, that, like, yeah, we're just, it's just going to be, we're just not going to be able to, tour and that sucks. But, you know, and, and I think that means something and, you know, and, and I'll be the first, that means something very different for stuck than it does for like, I don't know, you know, like, you know, like any, any, I like, you know, I have like many friends bands who are all like, you know, like that's like their job and they, and they, they rely on income from merch to like pay their rent. And I'm not in that, I'm not that in position in that position. None of us are, you know, I, I, all of us have like day jobs. So I guess it's like, you know, easy. It's easier for us to kind of like, you know, just like really like kind of put the idea to rest for a little while, but that's, that's kind of where we're, we're at right now.
0: Well, you know, best wishes. I hope for all of our sakes that we're all in a position where we can see stuck live sometime soon and that we feel safe in doing so. Thank you so much for joining in on the call and, talking about the record with me man I've had, a, I've had a blast doing this
1: yeah thanks so much for having me on this has been super fun and I'm, I'm really glad you asked me to be a part of it and um, thanks for thanks for listening to the record and, and yeah this has been it's been chill
0: thank you again for listening and thank you to Greg Obis for joining me today you can find Changes Bad on Bandcamp at Stuck shy.bandcamp.com that's shy like Chicago you can find more information about Greg's work as an engineer at gregobus.com you can find more episodes of the podcast on the iTunes podcast app or at soundcloud.com slash lamniforms sounds and you can follow me on twitter at lamniforms underscore or on instagram at iankcorey more episodes soon. Until next time.